All right, guys, welcome back to another podcast. Uh, today, we're kind of starting something new that we're uh, calling Tuesdays with Caroline. So here we go. Welcome to the podcast. All right, All right, here we go. Yeah, Back to Caroline Washington. Episode one of Tuesdays with Carol. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, isn't it episode two technically? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's that, so we're gonna make a thing out of this. Yeah, it's a prequel. Or the, 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 your prequel. your podcast was a prequel. There's like the preamble. It's the preface. Yeah. Not, I like it. Yeah. So yeah, so just as kind of a like a where my idea is with this is basically, um, Caroline, you and Carlo share a pretty similar mindset just from a different experience level from different, uh, in both time and also just variety. Um, but you're, you know, as we had talked about in your kind of your staff, um, introduction type podcast that we had a few episodes ago, you're really good at asking why always have a lot of inquisitive questions and you think about uh, a number of things on a, on a, a deeper level than some other people tend to. So what I would was hoping to do is basically to just tap into that um, as a means of kind of breaking up our more linear type content and just throwing in essentially what uh, what is on your mind this this week this you know or every other week depending on how often yeah. we're able to do this uh, you know schedules are what they are yeah but uh, yeah I guess you know you were here this last weekend Caroline and got to work with. Dr. Janessa and yep. Dr. Carlo and yep. a few of our staff and had some fun conversations, but what's on your mind? <laughs> um, well, two cents that I will add to what you were just saying is that sometimes that inquis inquisitiveness and uh, unwillingness to let things go is to my own detriment, <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. but, we'll, but we'll, yes. we'll skip that part for now. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, yeah, actually to that, I think um, actually before the podcast we were talking about, there was a, a conversation we had on Saturday and then we had on uh, Sunday or maybe Sunday, Monday, whatever it was, it doesn't matter. We had a couple this weekend, uh, but that was actually it, right? I think I called you mm -hmm. out for, um, it was it was essentially, it was either pride or, um, yeah, essentially just kind of sticking to your guns. And, and, and a part of it had to do with, um it was the estimate process, right? So we had one where, um, you know, we always have upfront pricing and everything that we do. Um, now with that upfront pricing, um, you know, we typically trend to do itemized estimates for everything down to the nth degree. I mean, we want it to down to the mill dose on a medication mm -hmm. they're going to get two to three times. Um, and in this particular patient, I believe they were leaning towards euthanasia and they kind of wanted an idea of what hospitalization cost was going to be for this particular mm -hmm. patient because there was, uh, you know, there was sort of money conflicts and so on and so forth. Um, and I think that was actually what we talked about that first morning was um, you wanted to go through yeah. making a very specific itemized estimate um, where I was like, listen, I know that this case is probably going to be minimum basement floor. It's going to be kind of 15 to 2000, probably minimum. Mm -hmm. um, we need to take, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, we need to take your time, Caroline, and move that into then another patient, you know, where it's like, can we have a more effective triage order? Um, it's not to say that there's any less value we're giving to that client uh, or that caregiver with the patient who's probably going to be euthanasia. They just wanted a kind of a ballpark number. Um, but we would want to try to shift your efforts into our, we got four other outpatients that need, if we're going to 
if we're going to put 30 minutes into this estimate process with these individuals um, to have it down to the nth degree, is our time really worth the nth degree when it's kind of a ballpark figure that they're looking for? Um, I think that's right. where, where you said kind of sticking to your guns. Um, and to your credit, uh, you put me back on my heels uh, and you said uh, that while there wouldn't be much uh, need at that point justifiably for us to give an nth degree estimate, it's still a good training tool for you in that particular mm -hmm. setting to learn the charges, learn the system, so on and so forth. So Yeah, that's because that's one thing that, you know, since I only work at PAW like relatively once a month, um, I don't get as many opportunities to make uh, hospitalization estimates and particularly that case was uh, different than cases that I'd had. Yeah. yeah, cases that I'd had before. And so getting the chance to like exercise that part of my brain um, and just like work through the process of coming up with that estimate that that was more I was like, nope. <laughs> right. I'm gonna be right. I'm gonna be stubborn about this because right. I want to do it, and because right. then I get to sit there and be like, okay, what about this, and what about this, and what about this, and are we gonna, are we forgetting this? Because I that's I've been burned a couple of times, like my first uh, like few times coming up with estimates, I'll often forget like details, like the big one in the beginning, and I always remember to put it on there now is that any patient that has a catheter in the hospital must, must, must have a cone on. Yep. And I've forgotten to put that on a few of my treatment plans before and then been reprimanded. Whatever the more politically correct term that you guys use for well, reprimanded. Yes, it's not uh, reprimanded. Corrected? Yeah. Corrected, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yes, yes. So. Um, but no, I think, yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, and, and that's why actually... I think one of the things that I found very frustrating trans um, sort of transferring over to ownership um, is that I actually got challenged less. Mm -hmm. There's like this cultural idea mm -hmm. that as an owner, you know, of a practice, it's like, well, what he says goes. And it's like, well, sometimes, you know, I may be looking at a problem from one particular perspective. And if you speak up and, you know, you have a different perspective that is of equal validity, but actually probably is better in the long run, either from an education standpoint, a patient care standpoint, you know, somewhere in that capacity, it's like, yeah, I'll back off. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if there's a valid yeah. argument now, I think there's a few ways that that can go. Cause that then happened, um, again, the Monday when, mm -hmm. um, we had a procedure uh, that needed to get done um, on, a, on, a, on a, essentially an outpatient. Um, and then we had several other uh, Humane Society cases that uh, we were going to use for you uh, just from a um, efficiency standpoint. So for spays and neuters, right? Just learning the muscle memory, um, you know, getting the movements down, just becoming more efficient. Um, so that was a scenario where um, Dr. Janessa was on the floor at that time. And it's like, uh, you know, her argument was, uh, well, we need to do this other procedure first because it's an owned patient. Um, and those are, you know, Humane Society patients. My patient takes triage order over those. Mm -hmm. um, and that's then a circumstance where it's okay to question. It's okay to challenge. But you only had a four-hour window to do your part. Right. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, and yeah. that's where, like, that's where, again, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think that's just two contrasting examples of saying, um, you know, on one hand, yes, there was a... Um, 
you know, I had made a decision. I'm like, just go ahead and do this. You're like, nope, hold off. I'm like, yep, you're right. And on the other hand, it's like, well, I made this decision. It's like, nope, you're wrong. It's like, nope, I'm right. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and that's, and that's, again, you can make the argument of practicality versus systems, right? So Janessa was functioning very practically to saying, this is what's on my task list. I need to get this done now. Yeah. And she's like, well, I'm not going to have time to do it later. My afternoon's going to be busy. And I'm like, I'm working 10 to 10 today. Like you yeah. I, I let Caroline do her thing. I'm going to move over and pick up your outpatients and then you just do that. So again, I think it's, it's a, it's a back and forth, you know? So uh, it's art. Yeah. yeah, it's art. It is. And I, I had to, unfortunately, I, I really hate doing this, but I had to pull out the words executive order. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. I hate doing that because I really don't like a hierarchy, yeah. but you know, when we're focused on, you know, we have these 10 things that need to get done. And I'm sorry, individual, I don't have time to continue to justify this to you. I, the decision is made. It just needs to happen because it's most appropriate for all patients, all doctors, all techs. Yep. It's like, we can address this at a later time, but right now is not a great time. So mm -hmm. just sort of back off a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. yeah, I hate the executive order but, words. But there are times where anybody at pretty much any position can kind of pull that too. Sure. Not necessarily between positions, but like if I'm training somebody and I'm going to throw a new idea at them and they're like, hold on, man, I got to do this first. Cause if I don't do this, I'm not going to digest it properly. Like you need to wait. Like it's, it's not necessarily that it's like, I'm your so one person is over top the other one. Yeah, it's no. just like, no, this is what makes sense right now. And we'll talk about it later. Yeah. We just have to put the cart, behind the horse like yeah. let's make sure yeah. that we don't trip over ourselves for pretty much no reason yeah and that's a yeah. really good example well, of that and yeah. and at some point you have to kind of take a step back and and figure out like what because someone has to like give up their position it's kind of like you were talking about uh let go of your pride sure um and because that it sort of happened to me at one point i was working over the weekend with um with Janessa and um, with Annie, this your our your Annie. I don't know. <laughs> she has a lot of titles. <laughs> at the moment, she was at that moment she was a CBT. Um, but uh, but basically, we were trying to come up with a game plan, and tr and and Annie was trying to keep both Janessa and I on task, and was like reordering what I had already ordered in my brain. And, and like me, her and Janessa were like, no, this, but then, but then I was going to do this, but then I need a room and then whatever. And so eventually I was just like, I don't care. I'm just going to walk away sure. <laughs> like too many cooks in the kitchen. And yeah. like, yeah. it's, it's just, it is what it is. So I was like, it's, it's not worth like nitpicking over the details because it's just going to get done. Yeah. And so someone just take the reins and I'm totally fine with whoever's reins they are like I trust each of you enough that like my plan that I had is you know what I mean like let's just toss that one out and we'll follow your game plan because you know but like I said I, I started to like but ah! and then I had to be like okay I'm gonna walk away now you guys do whatever you're doing <laughs> right right yeah it's yeah. conductors of the orchestra right you know uh, cooks yeah. in the kitchen but I, I would say that that interaction is um, a little bit of a growing pain Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's, we actually 
so to kind of stem from that and talking about our triage process, um, you know, essentially being walk-in triage. Um, yeah, it's tough. Like you said, when you order something in your brain, but then even if it was independent of Annie and Janessa not being there, it's then you yeah. order, you order something in your brain, CSS orders something, you know, uh, you know, medical support or CVT or, you know, veterinary nurse, they order things in their brain. Um, and I would say that, like you said, you just kind of walked away. Um, I really don't think the conductor of triage necessarily needs to be a doctor. And actually I would say, um, and and really it's, it comes down, uh, truthfully kind of to a systems thinker, you know, is, is it's, Mm -hmm. if you have, whether that's a doctor or a tech, if you have someone who can kind of take that step back, you know, the 30,000 foot view and be like, ah, all of these people need to work together in this fashion to make it work between rooms and everything else, whether it's, Annie or anyone else. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's not necessarily about like medical yeah. um, competency. knowledge, competence. Yeah, because yeah. 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 there no. have been there have been days where like I'll be the second CSS person that's there yeah. and I pretty much hang out in back sure, helping sure. move stuff around. I'm in the middle of triage discussions. Like I have zero medical knowledge, right. but I'm not I'm pretty good at making a Put, putting together a puzzle uh, so yes. it's mm-hmm. it's about yes. asking the right question to the right person so yeah. that you can understand everything and like yes. okay well now this is the way you know it's yeah. relatively linear fashion how these things are going to go yeah. um it's you're essentially i don't know if you've it, it would be interesting to have somebody that was really good at it but to actually have like a gantt chart uh you ever you ever used one of those mm-hmm. so it's essentially just multiple no. timelines all at once it's a project management tool gotcha. and to see you how to our, show this to me. I'm very curious about this. Yeah, it's G it's G A N T T. Um, okay. and it, it is a project management tool that is used. Uh, it, it was it pretty much, it, it uh, came out of manufacturing. Gotcha. Simultaneous workflow, simultaneous workflow, right? Yeah. How are these things moving and what phases are they in at yeah. this point? And then, because dude. when one hits, it's okay. How does this impact the timelines of the rest? Dude, that's how we create yeah. our triage game. So yeah, yeah Annie mm-hmm. has been developing a yeah. triage game, but like for you, Trevor and I, like being the gamers in yeah. the clinic, like yeah. we gotta, we gotta have a sit down on that. No, yeah. I, I already have that mapped out in my head on how it's going to work. So <laughs> it's going to be, everyone's going to know how to play Dungeons and Dragons by the time they're yes. le- done learning how to play the triage With game. With Gantt charts. Yeah, that'll be a part of it. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Naturally. All right. This is a game that I kind of want to play, but so my fiance, Evan, plays this game and he listens to, uh, oh, what the heck is Critical it called? Role. Critical Role. Critical Role. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So he's gotten, he's gotten me involved in, in like via listening to that or whatever. But yeah. I'm like, there's just so much that I don't know. Like so much, like I think the game itself I would thoroughly enjoy, but I, I just don't know any of the backstory. Yeah. You want to know something really funny about that, Caroline? You don't have to know anything. You just walk into the room. You're like, this is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to say yes, (laughs) and I'm going to have fun. And then that's fair. But... And that's why, like, I literally, this was a, this was a two o'clock in the morning thought after I had been in the clinic for way too long. Uh, sure. Yeah. And I, I just started thinking about D and D and then my brain was just like, let's just put these two things together. Sure, of course. But be, it was because of the fact, like I was, it was after a training day and I was trying to teach the individual that is new to our staff, the difference between the science of process and how there is a right way to do everything. Yeah. But also there's a lot of should that's yeah. included in this. <laughs> 
and how okay. like there is some with the variability within yeah. process, yeah. like there is an art form that yeah. I'm not going to be able to teach this person. And yeah. I was just right. kind of, and then it got me thinking about how triage is essentially that where yes. you're, you have to be willing to walk into the room, willing to say, yes, have a discussion and, and I'll ultimately not really hang your hat on something that's going to bother you to the point that it detracts from the group or from yourself. Yes. Yeah. And that's the, right. art, that's the art side of it. Uh, tri- triage is ju- basically just creative decision-making with um, different people having different sets of variables. Pretty and much. the only huh. way for it to work well is to communicate and ultimately put your uh, strategize your way towards, towards the end where you're headed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Triage is among the most complex strategy games I think I've ever played. Yeah, but there is, and again, like there is in any given moment, there is not an official right way to do it. We have our Correct. process. We have like, all right, if we have this and this and this here, like this yeah. is the way that these go. There's a loose set of guidelines. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah. but the, to, to go back to your um your Saturday yes. or, or, mm-hmm. or Monday when you Monday. had the procedures overlapping yes. the procedures as our standard process relates to that pro- to humane society cases versus own patients. Dr. Thompson was absolutely right. Absolutely. Yep. At, as it yep. relates to the science yes. of the process. Yes. yes. Owned patients do come before humane society patients. Yeah. yeah. However, there were other variables that were not a part of the building of that individual process. So in artistic yes. <laughs> uh, decision was made essentially because yeah. it's like, well, mm-hmm. this is how this variable impacts this. Therefore yep. we're going to just make that decision. And it's not that difficult to have that communication, but if there, if there is a needed extensive discussion about it, that's when you talk about how it's like, well, I'm, I, I'm going to have this talk with you. Yeah, I just don't have needed. the time frame to do it right now. Correct. And I'm, yeah. I, I'm not really pulling rank. It's yeah. just, this is what it's going to be yeah. and we'll figure it out later. And then if we decide after that, that the next time that this happens, it's different then we have that discussion at that point. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. the, um, so on one hand, you're exactly right. Yeah. Dr. Janessa was totally right. Um, but it's, it's kind of like, um, painting by number. Yeah. So painting by number in a practical way is you have one red painting by number in the very systems ways. Like, well, you have five different types of reds, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to color that each a little bit differently, but you, like you, like you had said, uh, Caroline is that the job still gets done, mm-hmm. you know, it's just in a different way. But I, I completely agree with that sentiment that yes, this is, um, uh, you have to kind of wor- know the science before you can do the art. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to have uh, one of our older employees who um, actually r- run the front end before we had the official CSS role, um, Joe, she actually would try to teach nuance. So she yeah. would try to teach the mm. should, but we were missing sight of sort of that scientific, you know, more mm-hmm. of like, this is what needs to get done. And, yep. um, and that's, I think, uh, from a training standpoint that bleeds through everything. If all we are is trying to teach nuance right from the get go, it's like, it just, most people, whether you're practical thinking or systems thinking, you're not gonna be able to put it together. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna know what the yeah. hell you're painting. You're just going to start slapping color on canvas, right. which some people call art, but it's not always appealing to everyone's <laughs> eye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very curious to see how all this is going to play out once we move into the new clinic. Oh, yes. It's, like, it's very exciting and it's going to be so different in the sense that, like, you know, right now we run into a lot of bottlenecking. Yes. Um, like, like, especially because it used to be that there was only ever like one doctor on the floor on weekends yeah. until I started doubling up. 
And so I feel like we bottleneck frequently in terms yep. of like having enough um, uh, medical support staff help and having enough technician or uh, CVT help and then rooms. Yep. And so when, when we're actually able to spread out, um, it, it'll be interesting because obviously there's always going to be growing pains, like you yeah. said. And I, I would like to think that the fact that we've had been forced to work on top of each other up until now <laughs> will mean right. that once we get to spread out, that things will go more smoothly, but you never know. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's so actually that will be a very funny interesting segue dynamic. There. Yeah. Yeah. Funny segue. No, because, um, what we actually did and, uh, you know, this, I think give us an opportunity to kind of, uh, tell everyone is basically we designed the clinic around process. So we, we actually mm -hmm. started with how we do triage, how we do patient handling, how we do check-in, check-out. Um, we actually started with that when we were meeting with the architect and basically saying, okay, here's the current footprint of our clinic, um, but I'm just going to scratch this out. Actually, I was kind of laughing or when I was starting out this podcast because I, I was actually flipping through my little hand notebook here, and I think I actually have the chicken scratch diagram of our clinic, um, which is right here, Ben. Um, it's like, it literally looks like nonsense. Like a crazy person would draw. Yeah, um, I feel like uh, yeah, it, we're closer to Dahmer than we yeah, are uh, right. Leonardo. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hold it up to the camera for those that uh, it's it's pretty terrible. Um, but <laughs> uh, funny. Well, he at least has a documentary about him. Anyway, uh, the uh, so anyway, coming back to it. Um, yes, no. So I'm I'm actually super curious because for me to take our current process and be like, you know what, I need to scale this up because. Because, like you said, the bottleneck, the bottleneck of patient flow, the bottleneck of treatment and triage and techs and pharmacy and checkout and check-in and mm -hmm. phone calls, all of those different things. And, you know, doctor computers and sleeping quarters. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, to walk through the clinic, uh, which I'm sure we can do a, a walkthrough video or something, mm -hmm. um, is that, uh, yes, it's everything we have now, just more of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, mm -hmm. yeah, so I am, uh, again, it, it's been kind of a running uh, joke that I make rules with the intent of breaking them. This is a massive break. It's we are breaking away from this old building and sort yeah. of construct where we've had to basically fit our process in this space. Yeah. And now it's we have an ability that basically mimics our process. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that component. It'll, yeah. defi it'll definitely remove a lot of bottlenecks too. <laughs> Yeah. We're gonna get our fucking steps in. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. <laughs> the uh, the thing that actually on I think it was Friday night. I've lost track of days, but either way, uh, I was talking with one of our more experienced techs on Friday, and I was like, "All right, given you have you have now eight education rooms, yep. basically, uh, I mean, it's not unlimited uh, triage and treatment space, but it's a substantial volume more." Um, yeah. and you like, there's no real limit to the number of patients that we can hold in house. And like, basically you, you remove all of the physical roadblocks. Yeah. And then, uh, the thing that we had touched, touched on last week or two weeks ago is how the, the, the dream team of size is one, three and three. Yes. And I was like, uh, how many cases do you think we could pop off in 10 hours with, with these limitations removed and this many people here to her. And I was like, don't hold your breath. Like we're a long way away from it. Like yeah. I just want, I'm just curious what your impression is of it. 50, 50 was the number in 10 hours with one doctor. Uh, yep. Uh, and yep. three and three techs and three medical support staff. That's in 10 hours. Fair. Five an hour. That's fair. 
What do you think, Caroline? Depends on the cases. Yours would be less. <laughs> We're just going to go there. <laughs> Mine would be less. Uh, uh. I don't know why. I haven't quite figured out why that is for me. Uh. We talked quite a bit about uh, quite a bit about it this weekend, actually, because it's something that still kind of bothers me. But I think from speaking with Carlo and Annie about it, like the summary or the the uh, the sentiment was, don't worry about it. Like you're you're doing pretty much everything right, and at this point, it's just like an experience game. Yeah. But yeah. I'll let Carlo comment and see if he had any other things yeah. he wanted to add to that. No, I think it's just efficiency of talk path. Yeah. You know, so I mean, you yeah. you have to run through. I mean, you know, I, I often say this to clients, you know, they, you know, I get a client in, they say, you know, I take one look at the case and I'm like, this is what your diagnosis is. And like, Why didn't my vet, you know, think I'm like, listen, my experience for the last 10, 15 years, like for the number of sick patients that I'll see in a month is the equivalent of most veterinarians six to eight months minimum. Yeah. You know, I mean, just pure yeah. purely on volume i mean if we're doing 10 well it, it we'll just conservatively say probably 6000 to 8000 sick cases mm-hmm. um you know i mean that's just constant i say so my experience is that my talk paths have become shorter mm-hmm. my interpretation of clinical history my pattern recognition you know all those things unfortunately just come with experience we can teach it um and we can say you know hey pay attention to this historical variable pay attention you know ask this question when they say that um so there is a little bit of a training component to it but no i you you get to the finish line you know i mean it's it's just so yeah that's that's yeah yeah yeah, and like the thing that would slow you down the most and i and again like i don't even know again if it would be that bad but it's 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 your initial consultations like Mm -hmm. of all of our doctors, Dr. Caroline's initial consultations compared to everybody else are simply the longest, unless it's a Carlo GI. Then it's comparable. Yep. Yep. But it's, but there's not like a, there's not a fault in that. No, there's not a fault in taking the appropriate amount of time it takes to make sure that you cross all the bases that you want to get across. Yeah. It's just in it. And that's goes to, you know, with what we had talked about a few couple of weeks ago with you is, is that idea of value. Where are you, where are you trying to create value for these people? Is it yeah. in an efficient in and out or is it really like kind of almost a hand holding, especially at that initial onset yeah. Yeah. where, what are we trying to convey to them? And yeah. that again, there's not a right or a wrong way. You kind of got to read the person because I know you will take more Carly. You'll take more time with certain people in the event that it's like, this is where their value is seen. And then the other side, if it's just a quick, like I'm going to pay whatever, I just want to get the heck out of here. Like, all right, this is what it is. Bang, bang, bang. Nice to meet you. I'll go get that taken care of for you. So there's um, again, that, that art to a consultation. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but even still at, uh, Dr. Caroline's slowest, we're still pushing out in 10 hours, 30 cases. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At yeah. slowest. Yeah. 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 Right, right. Yeah, because, I mean, what we what we ultimately look at, right, um, in that scenario of our 133, so uh, three CBT, three medical support, not including clerical, so this is just in that particular setting, um, we start to take out significant chunks of what the doctor does. So, you know, actually, <laughs> oddly enough, uh, Caroline and I were actually talking about this this weekend. Like, mm-hmm. how did this practice look before I started just doing things, mm-hmm. you know? And it was that, 
all doctors would have a consultation. They'd come out. They would do all of their own estimates, meaning yep. like the actual creation of them, printing them. They would go into the room to talk to about them, and they were responsible for doing all of their own charges. So all their charges would go into the computer system at either case conclusion, the typing their own prescription labels. I mean, all that stuff was done by the doctor. Mm -hmm. We didn't have charge sheets. We didn't have procedural sheets, medication sheets, injectables, all that stuff. Even our discharge instructions were completely by hand. So we would have all the prescription labels print manually, and then we would also have to type that again. So there was so much redundancy in software that admittedly at that time had the capability of doing the majority of the job that the veterinarian was doing. So if we're saying that, you know, three an hour sounds intense or five an hour sounds intense, all we're saying is the veterinarian is doing considerably less for every appointment. Right. We now instituted a brand new medical record. Uh, it's, it's the same software, um, but it's actually a completely different way in which we construct our medical records. The idea is efficiency minimizing the amount of time the veterinarian is sitting in front of a computer. Go see more patients, go see more patients, go see more patients. Because yeah. um, that's effectively where our training is. We shouldn't have to be bogged down by the medical record system. We should be able to medically code this stuff out. Mm -hmm. And if we have medical mm -hmm. coding, all we have to do is just put in some light physical exam findings. But then we start to hire in the, or we start to consider scribes, which can be our our, uh, our medical support staff. We have scribes typing our records while we're in the room, just taking note while we're asking questions. Right. You know, so we start yeah. to further reduce, further reduce, further reduce. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, anyway, yes, that, that type of uh, one to six ratio, I think, would easily lend itself to 30 an hour, even if you have... 10 uh, hours. 30 and 10 oh, hours. Oh, sorry. Three sorry. an yeah, hour. Yeah, three an hour, yeah, sorry. Three, three yeah, to five yeah, an hour. Yeah, sorry, my bad, my bad. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, 30 in that in that, in that that 10-hour time frame. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't think that would be difficult at all. Okay. Well, then you'd pair that up with you run two teams side by side. Correct. Which yeah. is mm -hmm. very reasonable in, Absolutely. A, in the physical... Because that was the other thing that we found it, with the weekends that you're around Caroline is it's literally just like you and whichever other doctor you're working with standing around and waiting for a room. Yeah. Or waiting for a technician to help us. Right. Like we're, we're basically like helpless babies. We can't do anything by ourselves. <laughs> I try and then just bad things happen. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But I think, you know, even from, you know, like the health of a practice standpoint, you know, because again, we are talking about process, right? So even if we say that we have a doctor with uh, three technicians and three assistants, not including clerical staff, we're doing three an hour. And I think I kind of have a mark for um, most emergency cases is that I want to create a diagnostic and a treatment plan that sits within about 350 to $500. Not because I want to make $350 right. to $500 per case. That's not the point. The idea is, is that most people from a liquid asset standpoint can afford right now, right mm -hmm. this second, most people in the middle 60% can afford 350 to 500. Mm -hmm. So if we're putting together a diagnostic regimen and a treatment regimen that falls within 350 to 500 you're going to be serving way more patients mm -hmm. than having a diagnostic and a therapeutic workup that hits into the thousand mark more people that's into like probably you know the top 30 percent you're going to have a harder time just saying today you're going to be spending a thousand dollars well i wasn't really planning on that you know so if mm -hmm. we hit in that 350 500 mark so just from a dollars and cents standpoint if we say that we have a veterinary team, a uh, medical team, uh, whether that's wellness or whether that's a medical appointment or surgical, whatever that happens to be, if you're running um, 
three per hour for 10 hours and you have a 12 hour day. So the additional two hours is put towards, um, you know, whatever it is, medical records, taking lunch, whatever it happens to be. Yep. So if you as one veterinarian and three techs and uh, three assistants running uh, three 12 hour days, you're seeing appointments for 10, you're turning three per hour. Um, and essentially you're uh, doing that for, um, like 52 weeks in a year, mm -hmm. um, you're going to gross 1.6 million for the practice. Yeah. So at the low end, at the low end at yeah. 350. Yeah. Right? So even if we're saying that, you know, in that setting where, like you said, you're running two teams side by side, one team is doing wellness. One team is doing medical mm -hmm. three out of four days a week. That's you. That's just your job. You just work three days, mm -hmm. 12 hours. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's a, an incredible way to sort of increase the health of the practice. Now I'm not saying, Hey, let's just all, you know, take a trip down to Cabo. Like Janessa says all the time, let's just take a trip <laughs> to Cabo. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. no, we're talking high rates of pay, livable wage, health benefits, mm -hmm. you know, uh, mm -hmm. even, even considering, you know, sign on bonuses and helping with, uh, the expense of, uh, student loans, but more importantly, Hey, let's invest in another individual so they can open their own practice. Right. So we can buy mm -hmm. this other practice so we can help finance the same idea somewhere else. And that's ultimately how we end up building Paw Health Network mm -hmm. is we basically network with veterinarians, not because I have any intention of owning thousands of practice nationwide. The network is the idea. The network yeah. ultimately comes down to process. The network essentially comes down to we are all collectively in this together. And if we all sort of see this guiding process and sort of this guiding path on how to create sort of the new profession for tomorrow, it's incredibly tangible to, to have both shared purpose and shared well-being, but also work-life balance. I mean, who the hell wouldn't want to work just three twelves? I'd kill for yeah. it. That's well, awesome. there was, wasn't there, wasn't there a, I swear I just read an article and I think it was, was it Australia or Japan? I can't remember. It, it, in not some America other country, was the they, point. It's not America. <laughs> <laughs> but they had tried they had tried moving to a four day work week and oh, um yeah. yeah and they found that most of the employees that followed that that work week they were more productive when they were at work. Yes. Yep. Even though they were working less hours. Yes. Yeah, yep. that's not surprising. So, no, that doesn't surprise yeah. me at all. I mean, because I mean look yeah. at look at what we did with our veterinarians in house. You know, I mean, for the most part, we're looking at three and four day work weeks for the most part. I our, mean, our front end's like that too. I mean, yeah. almost all of our staff is on a four day work week. Yeah. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. and that's even, we're talking a 24 hour clinic, right? You know, I mean, even yeah. for, um, like I'm thinking of our overnight doctors, the overnight doctors work two or four days per week. Mm -hmm. Like that's pretty much it. They're 14 hour shifts. So you'll be averaging about three shifts per week. Some days you work two. So you got five off some days you work four. So you have three off. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know, so again, I, I have seen that same thing from our doctors internally independent of what would be happening internationally. No, be rested be well, yeah. you know, like yeah. it's amazing how well you can do when you don't run out 80 hours in seven days, Ben. It burns you out a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> yes. And then yeah. you look at the next week, it's like, crap, I got to do it again. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, there's a, there's a time because the, the, well, the thing is for me is I know it'll come around. Yeah. Like I, yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually explaining to the new hire that we had uh, or that we have on uh, Sunday night and she was like, man, you need to go home. 
Like yeah. you just need to go to bed. Yeah. And I'm like, I get it. Like I've, I've hit my limit for the day. So I'm going to go do that. However, yeah. don't feel like you have to try and defend me from myself uh, because sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. the other side of that is I'm a big believer that work-life balance is, is exclusively determined by the individual that is yeah. balancing it. Yeah. So like for me, I love working. Yeah. I love having purpose and being able to put yeah. my time into something that's extre- that yeah. I view as extremely valuable. So, Economic. like, there we go. yeah, yes. I lo- they ultimately comes down to I want to win. Yeah, like this is a game to me, <laughs> yes. and I want to win. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I also agree with that sentiment. Right, yes. right. So for, for no monetary gain, like I just want to win. Yeah, I'm I want to come out yeah. on top. Yes, I yes. want this. I because. And not even for my own pride. I just think this idea is best. Like I have, (laughs) I have consumed all of the Kool-Aid. Right. Like I am just fully in, uh, just into the, 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 the cult mindset of Paw Health yeah, Network, right, really. Right. I was just going to say, this is where Janessa calling Carlo a cult leader comes into play. <laughs> for sure, for sure. He's really, really good at it. Yeah, she mm-hmm. she brought that up uh, when Caroline came down. Her uh, parents are going to the uh, Packers-Seahawks game, I think. Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so we Packer went out. Packers someone. Yeah, Packers someone. They went to uh, the game. But anyway, so we went out to dinner. What was that, Saturday night? Was that right? Saturday night. Yeah, Saturday night. And that came up several times, not necessarily the Kool-Aid component, but like, you know, uh, an effective cult leader um, <laughs> has uh, a charismatic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, behavior or, you know, a behavior path. Uh, what was it? What else was there? It was like, I don't, yeah, was, I don't know. She, she knew them uh, has, right off the top of her head. She knew them. <laughs> she actually knew them surprisingly well. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes you think like, right. who's actually trying right. to do this? Right. 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 <laughs> right. We make a joke about the Kool-Aid late and she's mixing the cocktail right yeah but that does play into kind of your place within the the overall scheme of the company too caroline where like you're not here every day like you're uh you're essentially on our tier four level but from a distance yeah and Mm -hmm. um it's not that you don't have a place because you're not here every day it's actually we're trying to maximize that place yeah 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 yeah, maximize. I don't know what you mean by that, but sure. <laughs> I I mean by the fact that the likelihood of you ever coming to work at Paw Health in Mosney, Wisconsin, full time is very very low. But you're still right. very much a part of the team that we have. Oh. You think the way that we do. You understand the value of the processes and the way that we do things. So then it's like, okay, how do we take the variables that are on your side and then maximize the the way that you can actually be a part of the Paw Health team. Yeah, right. I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's as Ben noted on the uh, tier four of our education system. Um, it's the uh, industrial advancement yep. uh, or industry advancement, where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. if you want to take these ideas forward, you're exactly right. It's only at you know bet- your phone call away. You know, I mean, right. it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of these things surprisingly. And plus for us, I think once we get into the new building, um, I think video chat's going to become a real thing for us moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. If we end up having to do consultation at a distance, it, yeah. it makes more sense for us to do video consultation than it does like, you know, flying four states away to have a one hour conversation. Yeah. Right. You know, like it's mm-hmm. we'll have more efficiency in time. But anyway, having individuals such as yourself who kind of have that similar mindset, the um, institution of... Uh, uh, you know, whether it be policy or procedure or even just uh, you know, hypothetical discussions, it's a lot easier. Uh, I think as Ben saying uh, yeah. with, with that sort of uh, shared shared purpose, essentially. Right. Yeah. 
I believe it all started when basically I said to you, Carlo, that I could never do small animal medicine because I'm just a lowly large animal vet. And that's, that's very, that's not to say anything against large animal vets. That's just gives you a snapshot of where my mind uh, was at at uh, the time. It's actually the culture of our profession. Yeah. It is the culture of yeah. our profession. You were taught that, but anyway, right. But keep yeah. Going. Sorry. And, uh, and, and basically said, I could never do this. And you were like, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, I can teach anyone how to do this. Watch me. <laughs> yes. 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 I often, uh, my, uh, individual self deprivation, and you know, aside from you saying you're just a loyal large animal vet, um, I have come to the point where I think a trained monkey can do my job. You know, so <laughs> when someone's like, what you do is really special. And how do you have such successful cases constantly? And your surgeries are impeccable. I'm like, honestly, I could probably train a fucking chimp to do it. <laughs> you know, like, and you're like, I can't do this. Okay. Hold my beer there. Yeah. yeah hold my beer. Oh, you're a Spartan too. This is gonna be real fun. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> but that that really comes down to the the, the idea of saying a, a chimp could do it is it's you would be able to train the algorithm yeah. of case management yes and yes. like okay you get these variables and then they're gonna go one of three ways and you just gotta you gotta yeah. be able to handle the flow yeah. which um, really I would say probably only comes with experience yeah. to a point. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to say that that's the exclusive solution to learning how to handle cases. Like there's obviously yeah, experience is the art. Yes. yes. Cause the science portion is the edu- the educative part. Yes. You're yeah. going to learn a whole lot of things yes. and then you're going to be thrown in the middle of it. And then you're going to be like, this book doesn't like, I see this surgical book. Yep. They give me this mm-hmm. blueprint to do the surgery. And then I go in and it's like, that doesn't look like the nice clean illustration. Time to do right. some art. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. 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 Dr. Kenny, uh, he refers to it as Jagar. So I have uh, no idea what that means. Yeah. It basically is like the cobbler, you know, <laughs> like the jack of all trades. He's like, man, he's like, he's like, you're Dr. Jagar. He's like, you just make anything work. And I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But it's not because you're just willy nilly winging yeah, right. it. Yes. There's just a yeah. lot of yeah. that, that, process built yeah. into your head where it's like, yeah. all right, I know I can take this piece from here and this piece from here yeah. and I can draw some lines in between those and I can ultimately get to the, de- de- the desired outcome. Yes. Yes. Sometimes you have to uh, take the two puzzle pieces and then you just smash them together with one another. Like this is actually <laughs> going to fit, you know? And it's like, look, I got them to fit. And it's like, well, it doesn't look pretty, but they're fucking fit, you know? See, I feel like Caroline would have to do that as a lowly large animal vet more often than we do. Oh, though. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I've done some creative MacGyvering in my, in my day. (laughs) That's for sure. But you know what they always say? If women don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. Oh, nice. Red, green. Wow. 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 I give, (laughs) I give super props to that. (laughs) Be still my beating heart. Yes. Uh, yeah, I saw him live. Uh, that was actually a, a oh the original God. Charlie Barons, by yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah for correct. sure. Yes, yes. That was uh-huh. Charlie Barons before Charlie Barons. Yes, yes, yep, yep. Which Charlie Barons, now I have officially seen both Red Green and Charlie <laughs> Barons live, and I would say they are both uh, very enjoyable experiences. 
Uh, anyway, segue. So there you go. Yes. You got it. You got mm-hmm. us off. Uh, got us off topic there, Caroline. Good job. See now you're really right, embracing you're the flow of the podcast. <laughs> as you have to get us off of topic as much so as possible. So we can see if we can get back on topic. Yes. That's why yep. I started writing things down. <laughs> yes. Uh, Caroline, I do want to touch on one of the things that we talked. To, we were just talking about. You know. 25 minutes ago uh, in how um, being inquisitive is to your detriment. Um, Cause one of the other things that came up this last weekend was uh, uh, caregiver feedback and how mm-hmm. you're so terribly curious about their impression of uh, your performance, your performance yeah. that it actually gets in your own way. Yep. So, and I think Ben, you've, explain this to me a little bit through my tricor in that I'm a very high, is it C? Yeah. Very high attention to detail. Well, no, the one that makes me like a people pleaser. Oh, that's like I want everyone. Yeah. It's I, that's the, Oh, it's I, that's the outgoing and experience creator. You and I are actually very, very similar in uh, very high engaging, which is I, but also very high attention to detail. So we're I C behavioral patterns. Which you said is an odd, kind of an odd combination, uh, it, right? It is, it is counterintuitive. So an IC as well as and a DS are both uh, counterintuitive behavioral patterns because an IC can be very easily misread as an outgoing critic. So you basically just kind of like I just jokingly refer to myself as an asshole often um, because I just, I'm willing to be critical and I'm also loud about it. And then on the other side Mm -hmm. a DS is somebody who can be very results oriented and push through the wall, but they're also very stable. So they want everybody to be like happy and it can be, uh, or at least uh, uh, well put together, I should say. So those two, uh, behavioral, t- t- generally speaking, you have a DI, you have an IS, you have an SC, and you have a DC. Those are the four main ones as just a general mm-hmm. pattern so that there is a counterintuitive nature to that, which does in fact play into even more directly um, your desire to create a quality experience as it relates to medicine, because not only yeah. are you create you wanting to create a high quality communicative experience for people, you're also wanting to create a high quality and highly accurate medical experience. Yep. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and so in, in this particular instance, um, it was uh, feedback and basically PAW has a system um, a system of, of feedback. And I feel like I've, I've definitely said this to Annie before in my review sessions, which is that I don't understand why I have, I have zero, zero reviews, like good or bad. I just feel like I don't exist. (laughs) And I'm like, to some extent, maybe that's a good thing. Like maybe I'm just forgettable, but like, it'd be nice sometimes to know, am I doing a good job or a bad job? And so I had expressed to her that, um, that I was, I start to get paranoid that, um, that you're hiding like the bad reviews from me. And so what had happened is we had gotten some feedback about a case and I was not supposed to know about it. And Carlo can explain why, but basically I found out about it inadvertently. And I was like, and Carlo was like, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Like it's already, it's handled. It's not like, there's nothing you could have done differently. And it, I just, I remember I walked into your office and I was like, it's still bothering me that you hid that from me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes. So finally, finally, Carlo was like, do you need to read this review? And I was like, yes. 
I need to read this review. And I got done and I was like, this caregiver is processing grief. Like it has nothing to do with me, yes. but like basically like that, that's what I, my interpretation is, is from reading it. And he's like, see, there was a wasted five minutes of your life. Like you could have just believed you could have trusted me yes. as your supreme leader. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. But instead, but instead you wasted these five minutes of your life by having to read it for yourself. And I was like, yes. I did have to read it for myself because I was like, when you, when you quote unquote hid it from me, you were basically like, like fulfilling all of my worst nightmares that you had been hiding them from me. But now, like I said, I understand why. And you can explain kind of, you know, yeah. your reasoning behind it, but <laughs> yeah. And it's, and, well, and I, I would still uh, potentially argue against the word hiding I, I would yeah. say screening yeah, <laughs> screening because sure. you do it. You like do a, it to all of our doctors. Yeah. Yeah. I do. It, yeah. To everyone. Actually. To everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause that's part of, um, you know, if, if you guys look at, uh, let's see here, it'd be section 1.2, uh, which is actually the culture and core value section. The culture and core value section has the area of the proactive review and the reactive case review. Yep. Um, so that's, if you guys want to review kind of the difference between those two things. Um, so the idea is that when we sort of have these reactive reviews, um, a lot of it again, boils down to not necessarily a complaint per se. Sometimes it is a formal complaint. Um, but if sometimes it's just like you said, it's people just sort of venting off stuff, but there isn't mm -hmm. actually anything to it. Like it's just, they're kind of shitting on you a little bit, but if mm -hmm. I think what we start to look at is in our process, um, is, you know, we often talk about, I mean, we made the joke in a few podcasts, like get hired on at paw and here's your shovel and here's your sandbag, yep. you know, and your helmet, you know, mm -hmm. just jump in. We're starting to dig the trench. Um, you know, but a part of it is that, you know, for us and our organization is that, you know, we start to look at the administrative component. We are also in the dirt, you know, we are there essentially to support you as the veterinarian and as the veterinary team. And part of that, support is that we are actually acting as a buffer between you and the clientele because in mm -hmm. in that scenario like yes we talk about in our organ we talk about in our profession the mental health component you know we talk about uh work-life balance you know we talk about you know these other things like disparagement we start to talk about the cultural conflict we start to talk about a lot of these things and in our organization we talked about it multiple times this is an opportunity and an environment for us to grow grow as individuals and grow as teams so whether we're talking a proactive case review where it's just see something say something a staff member sees something and it's we're going to do a proactive review this doesn't seem right um, or a reactive review where it's a caregiver that's again coming to us this doesn't seem right in either scenario the process is to identify points in which we can learn and educate the process mm -hmm. is for us to grow better as veterinarians and and support staff and you know technicians and so on and so forth and sometimes growing as a human is you're just better at medicine in this one particular place sometimes it's bedside manner so for us to get you know at least in some capacity some of these feedback um, things which you know again aren't even necessarily feedback it's just people trying to process through what happened um, and what I often see a lot of times when we get some of these um, feedback either through rapport or through Wompley um, a lot of times is that their grief is that they tried to look outward. And I think as a whole, culturally, maybe in our country, maybe in the world, 
The reason why we talk so much about accountability is because there is an absolute cultural lack of accountability in our society, in our world. So for us to, you know, say in, you know, this particular circumstance where, you know, we had a respiratory patient, I think we used this example before, a respiratory patient who is saturating at 72%, we can't go below 90, we want to be at 100, we can't go below 92, and we were at freaking 72, that is massively low. Mm -hmm. That is not a problem that happened that morning, I'm sorry, but that is not a problem that happened that morning. This patient absolutely has seen clinical decline over the last three to five days, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about the reality of the situation, for you to get this patient who is already saturating low and ends up having a poor outcome because the lungs were trashed, there wasn't any special medicine in the world that was going to fix this circumstance because it was just Mm -hmm. simply too late. And the patient coded within like four minutes of being there, you know, so it's, you know, whatever it was time frame wise. But Mm -hmm. the idea was that in the circumstance, we talk about accountability to case management because up to this point we've talked about accountability is how it relates to culture and core values but in this circumstance it's accountability to the patients it's our ability to serve the patient well let's look at what had happened from the vantage point of the caregiver but not actually being the caregiver meaning was this person actually educated appropriately so when this animal was diagnosed with pulmonary and or congestive, or I'm sorry, uh, 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 cardiac disease, were mm-hmm. they given the time to be properly educated on the clinical symptoms to monitor over a three to five to 10 day time period, a three to five to 10 month time period? Were they mm-hmm. adequately educated to say, this is what you need to monitor for? And I would say overwhelmingly, almost every congestive patient that I have in who you know may or may not succumb to the condition, None of them have. So the yeah. perception is, I, go ahead. It's amazing how many people don't realize that like the, the patient is not going to improve from congestive heart failure. Like that is the disease that will ultimately kill yes. you. Yes. Like we can manage the symptoms, Yes. but it is not a treatable disease. It's, it's, we can treat symptoms yeah, of the disease. Manageable. We cannot treat the disease itself. Yes. Yeah. Manageable, not curable. So that, that'll be something yeah. that I'll often bring into the consultations. You're exactly right. A lot of people don't realize that. And that's why our two governing principles are serve the patient and educate the caregiver. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. we get something in saying, I don't understand why this patient coded. I don't understand why we died. I just, I feel like you guys could have been faster. And it's like, but, the, but like, it was fast from when you got Mm -hmm. here. We're talking about, you know, a 10 minute opportunity to revert, you know, it it, was, it was longer than that, but it, yeah, you, you get the, the point. point. You get the point. Yeah, right. besides the point. So, yeah, but in the end, you know, what it boils down to is we're asking this biological entity's body. So we're asking this patient's body to turn over, even if we say half hour, even if we say an hour, we're saying that in well, this it was, next... Well, it was like, an, it was like a, a half an hour in oxygen, in an oxygen cage yeah. at 100% oxygen, and we are seeing, and that's when we were oxygenating so at low. 70, yeah, at 72. So, yeah. So we had, we had intervened, and we were seeing no response yeah. to that intervention. Yeah. But an, anyway. an, yeah. Initial immediate triage. So part right. of that then process and getting this negative review back to that, or it wasn't even negative review. It was just, again, this individual was basically trying to understand the process um, mm-hmm. is that the way in which things were worded in there could definitely seen as attacks could definitely be seen or taken as being negative by you as the veterinarian but again you again look at these things a little bit different saying oh this person's just processing grief we have colleagues who would not be able to interpret that yeah so yeah, that's that's where we sort of stand between it and saying listen this individual overall has a ultimately lack of accountability to the patient as the caregiver but i'm not saying that that is their fault 
they weren't educated appropriately. The patient wasn't served appropriately. So if we're in a scenario where we end up getting these things and it's like, we were honestly, not just we as an organization were between a rock and a hard place, not that the caregiver was between a rock and a hard place. It's the patient was between a a rock and a hard place. So when it's a, it's a no win, no win, no win. It's like, you know, does it really, and then I'm going to bring this all full circle here. So I'll, I'll, Mm -hmm. is that really what it comes down to is it actually is a complete waste of your time to read that review. Yeah. Cause there isn't yeah. anything to learn from it. And even from a bedside manner, all that stuff, there just isn't anything to take away. It's just someone who's mad that their animal died and it just happened yeah. to die in our watch. But it was like, there was literally nothing else, even from a medical management standpoint, where it was like, it wouldn't have made a difference because it was an end stage case. So right. that's where, like I said, it's, it's in again, then, you know, I understand then again, me backing off and saying, do you just need to read this review again, is me giving merit to your argument and saying, I just have this paranoia. I just think people are hiding things from me and I just, Mm -hmm. I really need to because I just think that, you know, and that was ultimately how we came back to it is just trust the process, trust what it is that we're doing because what we're actually trying to do is, um, buffer you from the things that are simply going to detract from what your immediate need is, your immediate task. Mm-hmm. Your immediate task is that animal over there who is currently in triage, I need you to put your brain space over on that animal who needs us now. It's not going to yeah. be reading this review because you're exactly right. We wasted five minutes. I understand from a mental health issue that it was important for you to read that because we had some downtime and it wasn't that big a deal um, you know, to spend the five minutes to, to do that. Um, but no, to to, to focus you more towards what you need to do. And what you need to do is see patients and establish informed consent. That's what a veterinarian mm-hmm. does in our organization. Yeah. And I think the one other point I was going to make, cause I kind of realized this as you were talking about it a little bit. So you were saying that not all of our colleagues are capable of reading a review like that and uh, oh, seeing yeah. it for what it was, which is that it, like I said, it's, it's a, uh, a caregiver who's processing grief. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that's something that it's hard to, cause, and you've talked about this a little bit too, like the, the whole us versus them. Sure. And I feel like that comes into play in this scenario where if, if you have an us versus them, um, kind of mindset already going on in your head and you're not viewing it as that you and the caregiver are on the same side, you it very much reading that review you're like oh well you know they're just trying to throw me under the bus and blah 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 and whatever like because you automatically go into it with a more defensive mindset and immediately like when you put yourself in the mindset of we're on the same team we're trying to achieve the same goal my first thought reading it was this person is in pain I can empathize with this scenario because any kind of sudden loss that you're not prepared for especially when it's something messy. And I have um, a colleague of mine happen. This happened to her very recently with her own uh, personal animal. She's a roommate of mine from vet school. Um, She tragically lost her, um, her dog to hemangiosarcoma and it was very sudden and it was very traumatic. And the amount of guilt that you have to process after going through something like that, regardless veterinarian caregiver i don't care who you are it it, it's part of processing grief it's messy and so when you put yourself in the empathetic mindset of i am not an us versus them veterinarian i am another human being who's been through this 
like I said, it's very, it's very much easier to understand where that person's coming from. I'm going to jump in because um, I think the reason, because the, 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 the point of the conversation was the screening mechanism, right? So <laughs> yeah. in, and um, I'm going to do a bit of a round here. Without the screening mechanism, that's kind of what you're referring to, Caroline, is it can turn into this us versus them lack of trust mm-hmm. scenario. And not with that one person, with caregivers, with the with the group of yes. caregivers. Yeah. The world I'm going to yeah. walk into the next consultation and trust this person less because of the way that this person uh, disparaged me online. Mm-hmm. Two totally unrelated people, two totally unrelated cases, but it is a potential habit that is of detriment to your um, medical care abilities. A the, the barrier. The other way that that can go is you can go the other extreme and you can actually go from serve the patient, educate the caregiver, to serve the caregiver. Yes. Because now mm-hmm. what you. you're trying to do is preempt any emotional reaction that this person's going to have, which ultimately we are not in control of or responsible for. So the screening mechanism allows for neither of those two things to happen. It's no continue to push forward on serve the patient. And in the event that we made a medical error, it will be remedied, trust the process. And we will also Mm -hmm. help you grow, whether you're a, uh, at any level of our organization doesn't matter. And then if it is a process error, we're going to make the process better. And if there's no error, we're not going to let that person get in your brain whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to stop. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Right. And we actually right. did kind of finish the conversation, not quite so eloquently, but we did kind of finish the conversation when we were talking about this in particular um, was, was you know, to that end is I think in a couple of podcasts ago, I had talked about um, how I actually don't care whether or not I get a positive or a negative review from yeah. a client. It doesn't touch me yeah. ultimately for me. And it is that you're exactly right. It's that screening neutrality yep. where one, I mean, yes, I have a very high level of self-worth. But the idea is in the screening mechanism is that because of my self-worth, I stand up and my organization stands up in front of and creates a shield for the veterinarian to help maintain that neutrality Mm -hmm. um, and saying that whether you get a positive review or a negative review, there's going to be something to learn from both positivity and negativity. Even when we look at our after-action review, our after-action reviews are almost always done when there's a negative interaction, Mm -hmm. but you have the opportunity to do after-action where there's a positive as well. What did we do well? What did we learn from this going very well? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because you learn from both sides. You know, right. if you have a congestive mm-hmm. heart failure patient that dies, you have a congestive heart failure that lives. Well, what were the variables that actually led to this one living and what the variables that led to that one dying, either them coming in the door at a specific time or the treatments we instituted at the time that they were here. Um, but yes, that's that sort of, like I said, not, not quite so eloquent, but that was the, basically what we, Caroline had ended with was just, you know, a part of it is just looking at those growth potential, uh, yeah. you know, the growth opportunities. Um, and then a part of that, of course, is where worked into self-worth and, you know, just standing up and saying, nope, I did what was right by this patient, but being completely independent of whether or not we had a positive or negative review, as long as you can walk away from the case and saying the confines of this case, that the variables that I was handed and ultimately what was elected or declined, at least while the patient was in my care, I did the best that I could. But I think when we start to blur the line, 
with our colleagues not being able to read the difference between a grieving caregiver, um, you know, and then, you know, just like really hard personal attacks and taking it hard is when you, like Ben had said, when you have one of these really high empathetic type veterinarians or, you know, medical support staff or certified technicians, whoever. yeah, whoever it is, um, in saying that now they themselves are negatively impacted emotionally by the death of a patient. So if you mm -hmm. already have that guilt and saying like, oh my God, I just killed an animal. No, you didn't. You know, a patient died right. while you were on your watch, but you didn't give it its disease, you know, and that's where, you know, again, that self-worth comes into it is that if you are already starting to have this high level of empathy, maybe you're leaning more towards serving the caregivers and you're seeking sort of this, um, uh, you know, sort of positive feedback and this edification from the caregivers. Yep. And they, and we talked about this when about the, uh, the post CE thing, if you're looking for this education or edification from caregivers, because that's who you're trying to serve and that's who you're trying to gain sort of your positive feedback from like it's only going to end poorly right you know it's going right. to it's going to affect your self-worth it's going to affect how you view other caregivers in the future um whether you're interacting or not because you're constantly going to be seeking and how you can make them happy and it's like there's a massive waste of time right um focus on serving the patient and as you serve the patient more effectively you're going to create more positive experiences for more caregivers but that's not the yeah. goal. The goal is to serve the patient. Yeah. It can be a tough thing to stomach for a high eye type person. <laughs> yeah. Be yeah. No. And I, that is a very, I mean, it's a good thing to always kind of have in the back of your mind, I guess, especially for people like me who are a high eye, because um, I can't say that, you know, trying to uh, control the situation so that the caregiver has a positive experience isn't something that's influenced my decisions as a doctor. And that's like, that's when you think about that, actually, you're like, mm, that doesn't fit right with me because you're right. You should be serving the patient and, um, and, and having that influencing your judgments is not ideal to have. Cause so it's, it's, it's all a hypothetical in your head, right? Yeah. Cause you're assuming mm -hmm. what is going to make them happy. And that, that right. is, you know, if, if we boil it down to serving the patient as sort of what it is we are here to do, serve the patients and educate the caregiver, the positivity is, is we're not assuming what it's going to be. We're just going to, we're just going to say that, no, serving the patient is what is best for this animal. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, you make that assumption of what is going, you're going to miss the mark on some people versus others. Um, and that's mm -hmm. again, what comes back to informed consent. If you make it, if you make a judgment on what these people are going to lecture to clients, you're only offering the stuff they're going to elect, you're going to miss the mark. Right. You know, it's, yeah. it's all sort of that same ongoing thought process. It just bleeds over several ways. Well, the other side of that yeah. too is if you're trying to manage their emotional reaction, yeah. your informed consent process is likely not going to be thorough in the thorough in the event of a very sick patient yeah. because you're right. not going to want to look that person in the Talk eye. About, yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, here, here's here's like a common thing that you'll have almost every veterinary forum talk about or every veterinarian to talk about. How many people thank you when they when you euthanize their animal, right? Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. that's the idea. We somehow assume that an animal staying alive is what everyone wants. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, what everyone wants is to minimize pain and suffering. Yep. That's yeah. what we want. And how do we right. minimize pain and suffering? We minimize pain and suffering by serving the patient. You know. Yeah. And again, it's like I'll have the cases where, like, I had a, um, a surprisingly enough, it was like a twelve-year-old or fifteen-year-old Great Dane mix. This dog was huge. They don't live that long. Yeah. Um, basically, it had been declining 
happening over like uh, three months, four months, something like that. It came in and it was like, I basically just went in the room and I was like, you know, I said, I can definitely fulfill a full consultation with you. The physical examination is dramatic. You know, they had gone through every test through their referring veterinarian with the exception of ultrasound, mm -hmm. which ultrasound would have given them their answer. Um, and I mm -hmm. said, I don't, at this point, I don't even need to do an ultrasound because I know your dog is ruptured a tumor internally. I know that. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, we can go through that whole thing. I said, but today's the day. Today's yeah. the day. Yeah. Today's the day yeah. that your dog just needs to have its suffering and and we just need to euthanize your patient. I said, I can I can put the diagnostics together. I can put the blood transfusions. We can do the surgery. We can do all of these things. So I'm still hitting informed consent to say, we can do all of these things, but I'm just going to go ahead and have to yank the Band-Aid off and tell you, yeah, this is it. This yeah. is the end. Yeah. And it's they're like, you know, at the end of it, they're like, Thank you. We just actually needed to hear yeah. that. Because what? We're serving the patient by decreasing pain and suffering, not by making them yeah. feel better. Right. Yeah. And it's funny that th those are your words. <laughs> They're much more direct than mine. Usually when I have that conversation with caregivers, the, what I ask them is, what is our end goal here? What is sure. your goal as far as this, the, yes. this patient's like what for their life like what what is your goal here are is your goal to take them home and have them return to a, a normal lifestyle or, or, or a good quality of life because that's very unlikely to happen yes. and you need to understand that that is what we're kind of facing here and usually once I ask that question then like the tears just all the tears because it, it the forces tears. them to it forces all the tears. <laughs> I know it's all the things. I like that with the young all kids the these days. The all the things, the all the tears, the all the emotions. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, but yeah, and because it forces them to think about like, oh, you know, yeah. she's right. Yeah. We're not. We're we're not going to go home to the one year old puppy that we're picturing in our head or whatever. Yeah. And then I usually also have the conversation of like, you know, it's not always a bad thing to end it on a good day. Yeah, sure. Like no, yeah. nobody wants to yeah. go out like yeah. crashing and burning. Yeah. So yeah. If, if, if today we look good and we look happy and whatever, yeah. have that be our last, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Yeah, last but it's, it's, it's funny because it's, I don't, I don't know where this comes from. I don't know if it's like a societal thing or whatever, but I see it start to creep in sometimes in, into the profession. And like you've mentioned on online forums and stuff, but like this, this sort of fear of death or, or, or that death is the worst possible thing that could happen to you. Yes. And I, 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 uh, I hate that. I don't often yeah. say I hate things, but I hate that yeah. because, um, I maybe call it like a sick satisfaction. I don't know, but I actually, if I can perform a, a euthanasia that goes well, mm -hmm. that is so gratifying to me. Yep. And for the right reasons. To, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like to be able to give that to that patient and give that to that caregiver. Like sometimes I think that's the best thing we can do as veterinarian is, is, end a life well that's no you're no you're exactly right and don't pull the don't pull the punch on that i say yeah. that say that to people i mean that I, pretty much everything yeah. you have said up to this point is absolutely on point with what i yeah. tell people in some capacity i just don't wet the band-aid before i pull it off right you know i yank, right. I yank the band-aid and then i kind of lead into that part you know mm -hmm. so we don't yeah. mislead them into thinking well i really hope i could take it home it's like no we just start out with saying nope. Just, nope today's the day but we yep. can talk about that further 
but no, you're exactly right. It's, um, no, you're, you're spot on and and open up to caregivers with that information. It'll, 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 it'll establish respect very, very quickly. I was going to say, cause like I am, uh, much closer to the caregiver sure. side, obviously, yeah. than you guys are. Okay. And my experiences with other veterinarians that are not able to just just give you the yeah. the news, just yank the band because my, yeah. my my last dog, you know, was in he ended up in end stage kidney failure, sure. and it took fifteen minutes to pull it out of the guy, out of the vet, out mm. of the vet. Yeah, and I was like, dude, yeah. I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, can you please just be honest? Right, like that's like right. at this point, I know he's really sick. <laughs> I'm not happy about it. Yeah. I don't want this to happen. Yeah. However, right. like I need truth, man. Yeah. And like, if you're not willing to give that to me, yeah. like, what are you doing? Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's, I, I, and that's informed consent. Just saying that technically euthanasia is one of the options in the management yeah. of this problem. But within the the day practice setting, yeah. kind of what we were talking about last week, you've got these two sides. Yeah. But you you have uh, with the complete lack of. Uh, structure culturally and like people are just being beat on every day. Like the last thing you want to do is go have that crappy conversation with somebody. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, especially if you are trying to gain edification from the caregiver rather than serving the patient. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. that's, that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Which, which mo- like the, especially the day practice traditional model being so schedule set in serving the caregiver and like, yes. you're going to be in and out in 30 minutes. Right. That's right. that's complete, and, and that also leads to seeing fewer and fewer sick patients. Yes. Um, so all of those things put together just completely remove the skill set of being able to have the quality of life conversation. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. Uh, it, it yeah. kind of go circle all the way back around where we started. That's an artistic conversation. <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> like yes. You, yeah. you, uh, Carlo, you had written like the the half page all the things that you touch on oh, for me yeah. when I had first come oh, yeah. on. I was yep. like, I really want to do this well. What yep. do I say? Yep. And I have it in our caregiver support guide and everybody reads it, knows it. Yep. And very, very few times do I have that, that you know, just the, the, the finishing of that conversation the same way. I never have that conversation the same way twice. Mm. Like, I say all the same things, right. but I'm I'm yeah. saying the words and I'm looking at the person and being like, what are you missing here, yes, right? Like, yes. I want to yeah. make sure that I am able to put the right variables in front of yeah, you yeah. because some people are like, now, 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 just get the hell out of here. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. some people want to, you know, give me the the three-minute story about yes, Fluffy. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm okay yeah. with it either way. Yeah, it's right, just, right, right. That is, there, and I'm sure for doctors, it's even more so where you're yeah. going to have some significant uh, artistic yeah. uh, nature within those yeah. types of consultations. Yeah. I mean, you guys just said it. Caroline, you do it one way. Carlo, you yeah. do it another. Yeah. And I'm sure that there are times where you two flip on those. So, yeah, sometimes yeah. you have to, yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. all sorts yeah. of good stuff. Yeah. We're also at like an hour. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> at least. as much as yeah. it is fun for people to listen to us ramble about uh, yeah. what what death. is on our mind. About yeah. death. Yeah, about yes. death, right? Yes. And, I, it's yeah. an important conversation. Yeah. I'm actually really glad that we have that because we haven't really yeah. talked a whole lot about that yeah. in, in this. And it is the such approach. a significant part of of uh performing veterinary medicine well, right? Yeah. What is the veterinarian's mm-hmm. oath? It's to uh, yeah. mitigate and ultimately eliminate pain and suffering, yeah. right? Yeah, first do right. Harm, yeah. So that's, that's to me, is one of the, the, the most important things that we have now touched on and will continue to moving forward, especially. Yeah, yeah, so. I, like the, I like the Tuesdays with Caroline Riff. Yeah, man. Yeah, let's do hey. it. 
Well, yeah. Now, what we really have to do is like make sure we upload it on a Tuesday, though. Otherwise, it'll sound really weird. It's, we should be we should yeah. be recorded on Tuesday with recording. <laughs> Every title has an asterisk. All right, all right. Is that Tuesdays with Caroline plus or minus yeah. when we get it uploaded? It'll be up Tuesday. Right. Yeah. I have I have time now. Yeah. Tuesday. Not uh, really, but Tuesday ish. Tuesday ish yeah. with Caroline. <laughs> Tuesday ish with Caroline. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. So. Well, Doctor Carlo, would you wish yes. to take us out? Yeah. I don't know, uh, Caroline. Would you like to send us off? Uh, I'll let you do this one up. Maybe I'll do. The okay, next we'll one. do the next one. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for uh, tuning into my podcast. We'll see you next week. Take care.